New Stories, Bold Legends, Stories from Sydney Lunar Festival is a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year. This is season two. In season one, we introduced you to a range of successful contemporary Australians, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers to board directors. This season, we're going to step back in time and introduce you to some colourful characters from history who have helped shape Australia. From newspaper moguls to department store kings, publicans and tea room merchants, you'll meet people who have made their mark in creating the unique culture we see in our country today. My name's Valerie Koo, the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, printmaker and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series, I explore the stories and history of people who melded their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country we call home. In this episode, we meet Mei Kwong Tat, a tea merchant, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and one of Sydney's most colourful characters. Ask any Sydney cider the best thing about their city, and you might be surprised by the answer. Sure, the harbour is beautiful, the Opera House is a unique architectural wonder, our beaches are world famous. But what Sydney ciders love most of all is our coffee and our cafe culture. Of course, Melbourne has a claim to good coffee too, but in Sydney you'll see people in suits having important business meetings in tidy cafes or friends gathering for hours over brunch, exchanging stories about their lives. When we're not at the beach or at Bunnings, Sydney ciders love to be in a cafe or a bar. And the very first ever cafe in Sydney, a place where anyone could stop by and have a drink and a chinwag without having to get a meal, was owned and run by the famous Chinese-Australian Mei Kuang Tart. We pretty much owe our cafe culture to him, and I, for one, am happy we have it. It might be hard to believe that there were no cafes at one time. However, when the State Library of New South Wales marked the centenary of Kwong Tart's death, curator Jennifer O'Callaghan told the Sydney Morning Herald, In the Sydney of the time, you could eat food in a tavern if you were male, or you could go to expensive restaurants. There were no cafes or tea shops selling inexpensive food. So Kwong Tart was a pioneer and effectively a trailblazer in Sydney's casual dining scene. So let's talk about his early days first. May Kwong Tart almost needs no introduction to some who are familiar with his legacy. He was the most famous Chinese-Australian of the late 19th century. As well as a tea room owner, he was an entrepreneur, philanthropist, social campaigner and society personality. Unlike many other Chinese people from this period of Australia's history, we actually know a lot about Kwong Tart. He was born in 1850 in Guangdong Province, China, the son of a merchant. As a young boy, he was already desperate to see the world. So when he had the opportunity to travel with his uncle to Australia, he jumped at it. At the tender age of just nine years old, he made the voyage to the New South Wales goldfields, along with a boatload of Chinese labourers. Kuang would spend the next decade in the goldfields. In his early years, he was looked after by several Scottish families, and for the rest of his life, he would speak English with a Scottish accent. He could recite poems by Robert Burns and play folk songs. I can only imagine what the Europeans must have thought of this young Chinese boy talking in Scottish brogue. This was down in Braidwood, in the southern tablelands of New South Wales, kind of halfway between Canberra and Batemans Bay. Today, it's a heritage town of just... 1,500 people, but during the gold rush years, the population swelled to about 10,000. As a young man, Kwong Tart came under the influence of a local wealthy family, the Simpsons, where he acted as a kind of interpreter between the family and their Chinese labourers. 
More importantly, he learned the skills he needed to be what would have been considered a proper English gentleman, although one with a Scottish accent. Mr Simpson also gave him part of a claim in a goldfield. This act of generosity would set Kwong Tart up for life. Through some smart management, he built up the claim and employed about 200 people. By the time he was 21, he had enough set aside that he was able to build a villa in the township of Bells Creek near Braidwood. He also built a school and church there and was a keen supporter of sports in the district. So how did Kwong Tart get from the goldfields of rural New South Wales to cosmopolitan Sydney? Well, as well as building his Bells Creek house in 1871, Kwong Tart became a naturalised British citizen. Taking this step gave him a freedom that many of his Chinese counterparts in Australia didn't have. He was now a citizen able to travel without restrictions and readily move between his two cultures. In a way, he'd done all he could in Braidwood. He was just about the most popular young man in the district, wealthy, kind and generous. It was time for a new challenge. During the 1870s, Kwong Tart decided to quit the goldfields and become a merchant in Sydney. The obvious goods to trade in were tea and silk from China. After a brief trip back to the land of his birth, he returned to his new home in Sydney and in 1881 opened a store. This first venture was a tea house in Sydney Arcade and you can still find the facade of this arcade at 99 King Street. What Kwong Tart did that was so revolutionary was that he created an environment where people could actually taste the tea before buying it. At first, he merely gave away cups of tea to anyone who asked, but his business did so well that he expanded his premises to include a sitting room where people could buy tea and scones. It's hard to think of this as a unique business proposition, but back in the 1880s, you could either go to a pub for a drink and a meal, but only if you were a man, or you could go to a fancy restaurant. The idea of having a light refreshment at any time of the day was brand new. The local residents and workers loved this idea. By 1885, Kwong Tart had opened several more tea rooms. In the Royal Arcade, where the Hilton now stands, the Pavilion at their Zoological Gardens in Moore Park, and at 777 George Street. So when he'd gone back to China for the first time, Kwong Tart had told his family that it was his intention to marry a European woman. He didn't have anyone in his sights at the time, but he just felt that a Chinese wife was not the best option for him back in Australia. On a visit to Braidwood in 1884, Kwong Tart met the 19-year-old Margaret Scarlett, an immigrant from Liverpool who was working in a private school. Evidently, it was a pleasant meeting. They waited until her 21st birthday two years later before marrying, and Kwong Tart was 36 at the time. Together, he and Margaret would have six children. She was a proud supporter of her husband and made it her mission to collect newspaper clippings about him and any other memorabilia she thought important. After his death, she diligently edited and published his life story, which is part of why we know so much about him today. They established a home in Ashfield called Gallup House. The site is now an aged care facility, especially for Chinese Australians, and is named for Kwong Tart. Kwong Tart and Margaret visited China together in 1888. After their return, Kwong Tart opened the most opulent of his establishments, the Lung Shan Tea House. This was at 137 King Street, Sydney, and it cost the massive sum of £6,000 to fit it out. If you go to that location now, you'll find one of the entrances to the Glasshouse building. But in 1889, when it opened, the tea rooms featured mirrors and pillars and marble ponds full of carp. A reading room was found on the first floor, complete with free writing materials, and a banquet hall crowned it all at the top. 
The Sydney Evening News described the opening event, and I quote, There is no more deservedly popular citizen of Sydney than the enterprising and clever proprietor of 137 King Street. A large number of gentlemen representing all classes of society assembled to celebrate the opening at this address of Mr Kwong Tart's new premises on Saturday. Lord Carrington visited the rooms earlier in the day and expressed his admiration of the arrangements. Sir John Robertson occupied the chair at the tea, which was of such a character as to ensure for the establishment of a very high reputation in the city. The opening ceremonies were of the usual description. These chiefly consisted of eating and drinking, a brass band and four scotch pipers, and speech-making by members of parliament and others, including a clever speech by Mr Kwong Tart, who apologised to those of his friends to whom he had forgotten to send tickets, the invitations being dispatched only a very short while before the gathering took place, in consequence of the uncertainty as to the opening day. The new establishment is one of the sights of Sydney, the whole of the fittings being original in character and of most gorgeous designs. The room are replete with everything that the visitor could possibly wish for in order to make himself comfortable, including a plentiful supply of lavatories with hot and cold water laid on, writing rooms, a large, well-ventilated and luxuriously fitted smoking room for gentlemen, and a separate room for the accommodation of ladies. The refreshment rooms are elegantly decorated, miniature fountains and grottos covered with ferns, giving a delightfully cool appearance to the rooms. With all these advantages, Mr Tart's enterprise should claim a fair share of public patronage and should be as great a success as his friends could wish and his high character deserve. To be honest, it sounds exactly like somewhere I would love to hang out in the middle of the city. In spite of the opulence of the tea rooms, Kwong Tart's staff were instructed to treat all customers equally, no matter what they were wearing or what class they appeared to be. This egalitarianism was central to Kwong Tart's ethos. He was an astute businessman, but he was always fair. This extended to his workers too. According to his wife's memoir, Kwong Tart wanted his employees to feel more like family than mere machines. In this, we can assume he was successful. The Kwong Tarts went on another trip to China in 1894, and before they left, the tea room employees presented Kwong Tart with a letter of bon voyage. And I quote from it here. Dear Sir, as you are about to depart on a prolonged visit to China, we desire on behalf of the whole of your employees to give expression to the feelings of high esteem which we bear towards you. Many of us have been in your employment for a number of years and we gladly acknowledge your constant interest in our welfare, your uniform kindness and your frequent acts of generosity towards us. Sincerely and with respect do we say that we have found in you not only an employer but also a friend and the friendly feelings that have at all times existed have caused us to feel a pleasure in the performance of all our duties. We congratulate you on the high position of respect and influence to which you have attained both in Sydney and throughout New South Wales and we who by our daily duties are brought into such close relationship to you say with all our hearts that the praise and honour which have been so abundantly conferred on you by the press and by prominent public men have been richly deserved. We feel confident that you need no assurance from us that we will be loyal to your interests in your absence. It is our earnest wish that Mrs Tart, yourself and the family may have a pleasant voyage, an enjoyable holiday and a safe return. We wish you farewell and bid you Godspeed. We remain, dear sir, yours respectfully, Alfred M Hooper, General Manager on behalf of male employees and M S Redford, Manageress on behalf of female employees. 
So Kong Tan often organised social events and picnics for his staff and even allowed them paid holiday in six days, which was revolutionary at the time. Also revolutionary were the fact that his tea rooms always had a plentiful supply of toilets. This would prove to be a boon to the women's suffragette movement. You think it's hard to find a decent public toilet today? Well, imagine how it was in the 1890s. Kuang Tart's tea rooms offered women a space to go to the loo, meaning that women could actually gather there for their meetings. For example, the Women's Literary Society met there regularly and later the Women Suffrage League of New South Wales, which campaigned for women's right to vote. Even for regular non-political women, the tea rooms were safe havens after a day of shopping, travelling or work. They were a place where a lady could have a drink and a wee without having to go to a place of ill repute. Now, in 1898, the Queen Victoria Markets, or as it's now known, the Queen Victoria Building, were completed on the city block bordered by George, Market, York and Druitt streets. Kwong Tart thought this was the perfect location for his next tea rooms. He called this latest edition the Elite Hall, and it was opened by the Mayor of Sydney at the time. From an official document, I quote, The Mayor proposed success to the Elite Hall coupled with the name of Mr Tart. He congratulated Mr Tart on his enterprise in extending his business in this way and hoped it would be the forerunner of others. Mr Tart replied in a humorous speech, which kept his hearers in a roar of laughter. <laughs> so... By all accounts, Kwong Tart was a pretty funny guy. He especially liked to pun on his last name. Like, if I drink any more champagne, I won't be a tart anymore. I'll be a roly-poly. Very punny. His wife, who, of course, is allowed to be a bit biased, sure, had to say this about Kwong Tart's general demeanour. This is from Mrs Kwong Tart. Sparkling with fun, brimful of humour, Kwong Tart created amusement wherever he went. His speeches on special occasions, his renderings of songs of all nationalities, were always calculated to put people in a very happy frame of mind. Those who knew the little man, five feet five inches in height, will remember his irresistible smile and genius for seeing a joke and making one. So far, I've painted a picture of a successful cafe owner and businessman. To have succeeded as a Chinese man in Australia at the end of the 19th century is no mean feat, and to do it with a social conscience as well is something that is really admirable. Many entrepreneurs today probably couldn't manage it. But Kwong Tart was also very aware of the fact that he was a lucky man. Many other Chinese people were suffering in Sydney and the colonies, either through poor labour conditions, discrimination, or because of opium. He was involved in all of these causes in various ways, either through writing petitions, organising fundraising events, or as part of various committees. One of the things that Kwong Tart was most passionate about was putting an end to the opium trade. He thought that it brought nothing but evil to the Chinese community in Australia, and certainly it gave the Chinese a bad reputation. During the 1880s, he had petitioned the colonial secretary to ban the import of opium. He wasn't successful, but it did spark the later anti-opium movements. Kwong Tart was part of the Royal Commission into Alleged Chinese Gambling and Immorality in 1891, and was an unofficial spokesperson for the Chinese community in Australia. In 1903, he was recognised as the acting consul for China, as there wasn't anyone in Australia filling that role. His own government also recognised his work, awarding him a Mandarin of the Fifth Degree in 1887 for his service to the overseas Chinese community and to European-Chinese relations. 
He was later promoted to fourth degree along with his parents and grandparents. Honours like these in China were inherited by ancestors rather than descendants. He was also a generous philanthropist and contributed to a number of charitable causes. He regularly visited asylums for orphans or destitute men and women where he was welcomed as an old friend. Speaking at the opening of one of Kuang Tart's tea rooms, Sir John Robertson, who had been Premier of New South Wales five times, had this to say of him. You know of his many associations with public matters and private charities. It is no use for me to try and enumerate them. I might go on for a long while, but it is enough to say that a man and a stranger into the bargain to have come amongst us and to have acquired the position and esteem which he holds must be a man with the ring of true steel about him and an honest man into the bargain. So that was from Sir John Robertson. And so it was a genuine shock to the people of the city of Sydney when Kwong Tart was attacked in his own office in the Queen Victoria Market Buildings. An outrage, the papers at the time called it, it was the morning of 19th of August 1902 and a man came to Kwong Tart's office purporting to be a detective to warn him of an imminent robbery. Kwong Tart was suspicious and reached for the telephone, but before he could make a call, the man took an iron bar from inside his quote and brutally bashed the tea merchant. He swiped the cash that was on the desk and ran off. A publication called the Freeman's Journal declared, This is one of the most daring criminal acts yet experienced in Sydney. Kwong Tart spent the next few weeks in his home recovering. During this period, he received hundreds of letters and telegrams wishing him well. Councils and committees around Sydney passed resolutions to send their sympathies to him and his family. When he was finally able to get about in November, he was presented with a silver tray and 300 sovereigns at a ceremony at Sydney Town Hall. In all of these messages, there was outrage at the senselessness of the act on such a well-respected figure. There were also those who were suspicious that this was more than just an act of thuggery. There is no doubt Kwong Tart was popular, but perhaps there were those who were jealous of the successful Chinaman. The assailant, Frederick Duggan, was caught, tried and sentenced to 12 years imprisonment. He was a known thug and had been described by witnesses. Although Kwong Tart recovered from his injuries, they apparently had a lasting effect. Less than a year later... On 26 July 1903, the great Sydney personality died in his home after a short battle with pleurisy. A large number of people attended his funeral and it was reported in all the major newspapers. This is an excerpt from the evening news. The funeral of Mr Kwong Tart took place yesterday, the remains being interred at the Church of England section of the necropolis, in the presence of a large attendance of all sections of the community, thus testifying to the esteem and respect in which the deceased was held. An immense concourse of people assembled in the immediate vicinity of the deceased's late residence, Gallup, Arthur Street, Ashfield, while the streets through which the cortege passed on its way to the local railway station were lined with spectators. The approaches to the station were also thronged with people, the male portion of whom reverently uncovered their heads as the coffin was being carried from the hearse to the special train which conveyed the funeral party to Rookwood. The coffin was of polished oak and richly embellished with silver mountings and bore the inscription, Kwong Tart died 26th July 1903, aged 53 years, and the footplate at rest, and on the lid was placed the Masonic apron of the deceased. He was just 53 years old. We can only imagine what other great firsts he might have achieved had he been able to live longer. 
Australia is a nation of migrants, people who came here to make a better life for themselves and contribute to society. Kwong Tart was the original bootstrapper and entrepreneur. He found a niche, he worked hard, and he was generous. He's the epitome of what it means to be a good Australian citizen. So the next time you're walking around the city and need to stop for a break, whether it's a rejuvenating coffee, a relaxing tea, or a sparkling beverage, remember to think of Kwong Tart, the adventurous boy, the successful proprietor, the innovator, the social reformer, the philanthropist, the generous employer, and the first proprietor of Sydney's tea rooms. Thanks for listening to this episode of New Stories, Bold Legends. To find out more about me, you can visit ValerieKoo.com, that's K-H-O-O, but you can also find out more about May Kwong Tart and others who celebrate Lunar New Year from this generation and from yesteryear over at newstories.net.au. You'll also find pictures of some of the people we've mentioned so they can come to life visually for you. In the meantime, we hope to see you at the Sydney Lunar Festival. Through this podcast this season, you've been meeting a range of historical characters, the forefathers and mothers of the Sydney Lunar Festival, which is a modern-day celebration of culture, heritage and diversity. It's through the contribution of these people from history who have created the unique culture we celebrate today in Australia. At the festival, you'll see iconic art installations in the form of huge lunar lanterns, each representing a different animal of the zodiac, all lining circular key. You'll find performances, talks and events throughout the city of Sydney. More than 1.5 million people attend the festival, which has become one of the biggest events on the city's calendar and the biggest celebration of Lunar New Year outside of mainland China. To find out more, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. See you at the festival.